Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Got a crazy story here about uh, insurance from California. Both Chris and Mike sent this. Thanks a lot. From NBCSanDiego.com. San Diego man's car insurance retroactively canceled after he got in an accident. So he had insurance, got in an accident. The investigators said, oh, we're going to cancel your insurance and we're going to go back and cancel it to where you didn't have it at the time you got in the accident. And the explanation seems odd, but technically, I guess... It's considered okay. Your auto insurance may not protect you as much as you think, says Sergio Flores and Cynthia Pasillas, who wrote this. San Diego Family Man has learned the hard way why it's important to know every detail about your car insurance and to keep it updated. He got in a car accident back in July of 2022, and he's exiting I-805. He says, yeah, it was his fault. Nobody got hurt, but, you know, accidents happen. He exchanged information with the other driver and reported the accident to his insurance, which he's supposed to do. An adjuster then called for details about the accident and other information, asking if anybody else over the age of 14 lived with him. And he said, well, my daughter and my son, but neither of them drive because they don't have driver's licenses, but they do live at home. So his insurance company told him in a letter that since he had not named his son as an excluded driver, his policy was being rescinded, resulting in his claim being denied, but they'll refund his premium. Company did not respond to NBC7 when they called to ask about the case. They said, well, it's customer privacy. We can't talk to you about that. As a result, the man is now on the hook for about $5,000 in damages to the other vehicle. And luckily, there's no bodily injury claims because that would get ugly. Meanwhile, the man says, what does my son have to do with the accident? Because remember, his son's not old enough to drive and does not have a license. Doesn't have a permit. Doesn't, no, his son doesn't drive. So he mentioned that he wasn't driving. He wasn't with me. He doesn't drive. He has no license. And so the insurance company says, yes, but you still needed to tell us that he existed. His very existence in the household, they considered to be a problem with the insurance. So the California Department of Insurance said it's not one of the main considerations for setting the rate, but it is a secondary consideration. So apparently they have the right to ask you that. And they're claiming that, well, they asked and he did not give the correct answer, or at least that he hadn't told them. And that they're saying is what they're hanging their hat on. So some insurance companies like this want to know who has access to a vehicle at any given moment, regardless of whether they're licensed or permission to use it. So if there's someone in your house, they're not a licensed driver, they don't drive the car, but the insurance company goes, yeah, but they could, they could. California Department of Insurance investigation into this claim didn't find any wrongdoing that's a reminder that we should all be aware of similar types of provisions and policies. This includes roommates, no matter how close they may be relationship-wise, people living with you temporarily, someone sleeping on your couch, you forgot to report them to the insurance company, Uh uh-oh, your claim might get denied even if they've got nothing to do with the claim. And uh, college students who return home intermittently, even for the holidays. So theoretically, right now, if you say, I got no kids living with me, they're all off at college, and you get an accident, they say, well, who was home at the time? Well, my college-age child was home for vacation. Oh, but you didn't list them as an excluded driver, did you? So they're not home full-time, but they're licensed. They've accessed the vehicle when they're home. They should be included in the policy. At the very least, they should be named as an excluded driver if they exist but won't be driving. So here's what you need to do if you've got insurance you don't want to get in this situation. Review the details of your policy especially if you have anyone over the age of 14 living at home. Make any necessary updates and do so regularly in the future. If you have any doubts, consult your insurance company. It's better to ask than to find out later. 
There are so many variables to each insurance policy, it's hard to give a general response that would apply to everyone. Meanwhile, the man here admits he'd faced, hastily filled out the forms when he applied for auto insurance. Now, though, he's scrambling to pay, of course, the $5,000 that he thought would be covered by his policy. That isn't. And I can tell you one thing. I've dealt with insurance companies my entire life, both as a consumer of insurance. I've cars, uh, homes, uh, all kinds of stuff. And uh, on the other hand, I've also sued them many, many times on behalf of consumers who didn't get what they're entitled to from an insurance company. It used to be worthwhile to do that in Michigan. It's not anymore. Because in Michigan, people who sue their insurance companies generally have to pay their own attorney fees. And I've mentioned this before. If you've got to pay your own attorney fees and the other side knows it, they can just drag their feet, run up your costs, and make it not worth your while. But I, again, took a couple of these cases because I felt sorry for people. And I had a case where a woman's car was stolen. She lived in Detroit. Her car was stolen. And it was recovered about five or ten miles away, burned to a crisp. Burned. And there's all kinds of evidence the car was stolen. Uh, there was broken glass at the side of the curb where the car had been in front of her house. And then, of course, when they found the car, they found that the, uh, this is an older Buick station wagon, believe it or not. I remember these things for some weird reason. <clears throat> where the uh, ignition cylinder lock is on the steering column had been busted off. And that was pretty obvious, despite the fact the car had been burned. And so the car had been stolen, probably taken for a joyride or possibly used for a crime stuck in an alley, someone poured gasoline on it, lit it on fire, and ran away from it. And so when she files her claim, they do the investigation. They go, well, we've decided that this isn't an authentic theft. This is not a real theft. And so what a lot of times insurance companies will do is they'll look at a claim that they ought to pay and go, is there any way we can just weasel out of this? Can we just weasel out of this somehow? Because they know the average person isn't going to sue them. And this was an older Buick station wagon, a total loss. It wasn't that much money. Wouldn't have been that much money. And so they told her, they go, we're not going to pay the claim because we think that you faked this theft. That's what they said. So I got involved. Uh, I was also working with some other attorneys in this case. I don't want to ever pretend uh, that I'm always handling all these cases by myself. At that point in time, I was working with another attorney. And so the two of us were handling this case. And we took the depositions of people from the insurance company and asked them, why did you deny the claim? What, what basis was there for the denial of the claim? And they would kept giving us these circular arguments. Well, it's not a real theft. Why not? It doesn't look like it to us. So what do you think it is? She faked it. Why did she fake it? Because the car didn't run. Here's where it gets good. The car didn't run. Okay, what are you trying to say? We think the car broke down and that she faked the theft by putting it in an alley five or 10 miles from her house and lighting it on fire. Do you have any evidence of this? Well, we don't think the car ran. Why do you think the car didn't run? Well, we think that's why she did this. She faked it because the car didn't run. And rather than paying to have the car fixed, she thought she just filed an insurance claim. Okay, what evidence do you have that the car didn't run? Well, why else would you fake a theft like this? Well, what makes you think the theft is fake? And, and after doing this dog chasing his tail for about 10, 15 minutes on the record, under oath, I said, let me ask you a question. Car doesn't run? Correct. She lives here, car was found here, correct? Five, 10 miles approximately? Yes. How'd she get it there? She pushed it. Do I need to tell you that my client was an older woman whose husband was in a wheelchair? Do, do I need to tell you that? Or would that just be like, sound like I'm piling on facts here? She's in her 70s. She had a hard time pushing her husband's wheelchair. She wasn't pushing a broken-down Buick station wagon across town in downtown Detroit 
on a Saturday night. Lighting it on fire and then jogging home. That's not what she's doing. And we went round and round in circles. I go, do you have any evidence of anything that you're telling me? The guy actually said, well, that's what makes sense to me. He goes, I've been doing this for 20 years. This, this makes sense to me. <laughs> Every time we went to court, settlement conferences, pretrial conferences, case evaluations, the judges or the people hearing it would go, their theory is what? And I'd point at my client and go, they're accusing her of pushing her own car across town on a Saturday night, lighting it on fire and then running home with no witnesses, by the way, because it needed engine work, which they claim that they cannot now discover because the engine was destroyed partly in the fire. When the car burned, it burned completely. I don't know if you've ever seen cars that burn. I've seen cars that had fires, but somebody had dumped gasoline in this car and lit it on fire so that when you pop the hood, yeah, the engine's there. You can see the engine, but all the wires are gone, air filters, all, everything on top was melted. The window glass for the windshield was gone and melted onto everything. And when they sent a guy to the junkyard to inspect the car, I took his deposition and said, what was wrong with the car? And he goes, I don't know. It was burned. <laughs> Mechanically, what condition was it in before the fire? I, I don't know. It was burned. Okay. Have you guys gotten together and discussed this yet? You might want to coordinate your theories here. But anyways, that case wound up settling. And, and it settled only because she got a couple attorneys who were willing to handle a case like that because she'd been turned down by everybody before she got to us. And at that time, there was no fee-shifting statute. But luckily, we actually got a judge to look at the insurance company and go, you know something, this actually looks to me to be egregious, egregious, meaning that there might be some way I'm going to award attorney fees if they go to trial and win. And so we actually got her, her full payment and some attorney fees. And it's one of those crazy cases. I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this case before, but it's one I often tell people about the most extreme insurance denials I've ever heard because they just didn't want to pay her. And so just make something up. So if you file a claim with an insurance company and they start asking you questions, just be aware of the fact that they're going to say, oh, by the way, even though it's you by yourself in your car doing nothing wrong except you got in an accident. I'm saying you're not drunk. You're not hopped up on goofballs. You're not, you're not smoking the wacky tobacco. You know, you're not driving the wrong way down the interstate. You were just driving along. You got in an accident. And they start asking you questions about who lives at home with you. It might seem far afield, but they're looking for a reason to deny your claim. That's what they're doing. <laughs> and they'll find what if they can. So you got to think real hard about this. But, you know, think of the times that you've got insurance on stuff. I've gotten insurance on a home before where I called somebody and said, here's what the home is. How much for insurance? And they quoted it over the phone. And then the woman asked me some basic questions. Do you have a swimming pool? Do you have a trampoline? <laughs> Apparently, you've got a trampoline in your swimming pool. Uninsurable. Uh, but... And who lives with you? Do you have any dogs? Any, any pet porcupines? You know, they ask you these basic questions. But then they fill it out at their end, file it, and, and get your money, and you got a policy. And people always think, great, I've got the policy. Policy isn't what you want. It's the coverage you want. It's the payment when you file a claim that they're going to actually pay what they owe you. And when they hear that you're filing a claim because lightning struck your roof, and part of your house burned, they're going to go, okay, by the way, got a trampoline out there? Got a swimming pool? Pet porcupine? Dog? Anybody living with you? 
Someone moved in since the last time you talked to us. Guess what? And here you are. So crazy story out of California, but it happens. And the California Insurance Commissioner said, yep, perfectly legal. So Chris and Mike, thanks for sending it from NBCSanDiego.com. Sergio Flores and Cynthia Pasillas wrote that. San Diego man's car insurance retroactively canceled after he got in an accident because someone was living in his house above the age of 14 who was not a licensed driver, never drove the car, was not in the car, but had not been apparently reported to the insurance company the way that they would have liked. There you go. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Why do you want this job, my friend was asked. She replied, I've always been passionate about not starving to death.